Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is our podcast series, SAP's podcast series about the difference that open source can be. And in each episode, we'll talk with experts about open source and why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hohage, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Claire Dillon about open source and OSPOs in the academic world. Hi, Claire. Hello, everyone. Nice to have you here, Claire. Claire has been working within the open source and inner source ecosystem for a number of years. After many years of working with developer communities in the private sector, that is, uh, she has recently transitioned to be a researcher with the University of, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce that, Galway or Galway? Galway. Galway and Lero. Uh-huh. Yep, Lero, the Science Foundation Ireland Research Center for Software, where she's a member of uh, Lero's OSPO team. And Claire also works with a worldwide small but growing number of uh, academic OSPOs uh, that there exist. So, and Claire, that means you're located in Ireland and uh, that uh, popped up in the news recently. Are you still in mourning for, um, again, I have to ask if I've ever pronounced him correctly, Shane McGowan or McGowan. Shane McGowan of yes. the Pope. Well, you know, we did have a good wake for him over Christmas and uh, there were lots of opportunities to do uh, sing songs with the fairy tale of New York. So I guess we're missing that opportunity now. But uh, yes, great man, great, great life, great songs. I've actually never really noticed this fairy tale of New York thing, which must have been their greatest hit of the Pogues, right? Oh, yes. I, I was more for like, you know, the partyish acoustic pogo things. Shane McGowan would be with us every year forevermore because of fairy tale for New York in New York. All right. All right. We're not here to talk about music, though. There is plenty of music podcasts out there. Uh, so go and listen to them if you want to hear more about the Pogues. This is Open Source. Um, we have actually a first time today. We had SAP colleagues in this podcast. We had people from other companies and organizations. We had representatives of open source uh, and of government initiatives. Your world, Claire, is uh, open source in academia at universities. In short, what exactly do you do there? Well, I do wear many hats. So I have worn many hats and I do wear many hats. But um, but more recently, I've been delighted to being part of this this community, I suppose, this growing community worldwide of folks that are looking at how to, I suppose, um, professionalize more open source within the university context. So as, as you mentioned, I moved into being a researcher um, uh, a little while ago. Um, before that, I'd been working in the private sector and I'd been working in other communities like InnerSource Commons. Um, and But now as a researcher, I've been delighted to be part of Lero's um, OSPO Open Source Program Office um, because my f- research focus area is around open source methods and practices and their use within corporations. So my journey, I suppose, to this area was a kind of a convoluted one. I came initially through InnerSource, which as I mentioned, is the, you know, looking at open source practices within corporations, because I was interested in these developer practices that were happening in large organizations. And through that, I met a lot of people that were working in open source program offices in the corporate world. And then again, through an evolved community, because everyone's so close in the open source community, I became aware that there was a a growing movement of creating open source program offices in public sector, and in particular, particularly in universities. 
Um, and so I became more involved working with universities who had set up open source program offices, looking at how they can support open source um, or operationalize it um, more consistently within the university or institution. So now, as I mentioned, I'm working um, with the Leros OSPO team in Ireland, but I also work with this community of open source program offices in university and research institutions worldwide. It is uh, people paying your money is the university or is that in academia it's like uh, this fund and that fund or how does that work? Yes, no. Well, in, in in this instance, my community work around the open source program offices is actually being funded by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, which is a philanthropic organization based in the United States. Um, and they're very interested in, I suppose, supporting the open source practices within universities because they believe that that can actually create better quality research outputs. So the Sloan Foundation has funded a number of open source program offices in the United States. Um, but the community I work with have those open source program offices and then also a number in, in Europe too, in particular in Ireland, the Lira One, as I mentioned, and uh, the Trinity College Dublin also in Ireland ha has had an open source program office for many years as well. Um, so that's a, it's a small but growing community. I think there's only about maybe 14 or 15 worldwide um, known open source program offices in universities and research institutions, but it's a growing trend. Um, and I think that reflects a number of trends um, in the ecosystem uh, as, as people are moving towards open research, open scholarship, open science, as many, I suppose, governments start following a more open strategy in terms of uh, software development and innovation. Uh, then th again, the university sector has responded and is now looking to support that activity. Maybe let's look at where this is moving in a minute from now. Sure. And uh, or also at the reason why there is still a relatively small number of OSPOs in the academic world, as if I got you right there. Uh, in the first place, though, in how far is and for whom actually at universities is open source relevant or not so relevant? Does it differ from the corporate world or is it basically all the same ideas? Well, that's a really interesting one because I think my big learning over the last while is how different perhaps the university context is than the corporate world. And that's generally speaking because universities and, and academic institutions have different goals. So in the academic world and universities in particular, you can think about open source in the context of um, education in terms of undergraduates and how they learn about open development practices. You can think about it in the context of how the university might use open source software um, in terms of the tools that they use every day. And I suppose most importantly, or, or really more very relevantly recently, the whole idea of open research has really gained momentum. So as the world has been looking at how do we actually create more reproducible software or reproducible science, should I say, then software forms a big part of that. You know, there's open data, there's open access, and open software then is a big part of open research in order to be able to take all the knowledge that's out there um, and for other people to be able to reproduce it, test it, build upon it, learn from it. Open software is a great and very important part of that. Okay, but anyway, you did say, I mean, open research or like cooperative research actually in some fields has been around for a while, right? I mean, I'm, the first thing you, one thinks about is the International Space Station, yes. CERN or something, where like international people come together for all kinds of physical, astronomical and so on projects in the two that I mentioned. But you said anyway that the rise of OSPOS is 
only happening now at universities, uh, now on the steep growing curve, you said. Uh, but that means that academia is actually a bit later than the corporate world, it seems. Why is that? Yeah, I think it, it may again be part of the context of universities. So if you think about the number of researchers who have for years and years, as you, as you point out, you know, often been very involved in the open source ecosystem, but often as an individual. So you, you often have these pockets of open source expertise and activity that are happening in various different academic institutions across the world um, and great collaborations happening in, in that space. But often that may be inconsistent within universities or in, indeed across different universities in terms of, for example, you know, how that's managed within the university. Is it supported within the university or is that researcher doing it by themselves? Um, how does it align to their IP policy? Is the local technology transfer office, you know, clued into how open source works and the trends around commercialization of open source? All of these things can be very inconsistent across various different universities. And I think the idea of an open source program office within an academic institution has grown in popularity as I suppose the sector realizes that this is a trend that is growing, becoming more important. And it's important not just to enable it, but to support it and to do it in a consistent way so that the folks within the university feel supported in their activities. You know, there have been instances in the past where, you know, academics may think that they're open source sourcing something by just making the source available on GitHub, but not perhaps thinking about the license they may want to add to it, not thinking about the consequences of what license they choose. And sometimes open source program offices spend a lot of time educating everyone around these uh, considerations and thinking about what the end goal is with the research output and with the software that's related to your research, and then thinking about how you want to support that in the university context. That sounds like as if up to now at universities, that basement uh, single-handed developer of or contributor to open source projects uh, still exists up to now. And we're now starting to try and get them under the hood of some larger concept, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that there are individuals who are involved in the open source ecosystem. But many of the open source projects that come from the academic space are are, are by no means individual basement kind of hobbyist type things. I mean, you have huge projects that are um, incredibly healthy, incredibly large worldwide. It's just that they may not be supported within the individual institutions. So if you have things like SciPy or you know the whole scientific Python community, these these communities are massive and incredibly professional, but perhaps not being, I suppose, there's a question as to what degree in which universities they're being supported. Now, that's not to say actually that there isn't a lot of supports for open source in universities existing today. So there are a lot of activities that happen in some universities in an open source program offices that are actually happening in individual universities. They may not just be centralizing that activity and calling it an open source program office, but of course there are many universities worldwide who are very advanced in their support of, of open source. Um, I think the rise of the open source program office allows for individuals involved in that activity to kind of have a flag in the ground to say, this is the place in the university where you can come and get information about this and allows for this networking across uh, universities. So 
within the community I work with, uh, there are a lot of uh, folks who share resources and share concerns and challenges and talk about those sort of things. So I don't want to suggest that the kind of activities that are often found in open source programs aren't happening to date in universities. Many universities are doing that. But I think the formalization of those activities into an office is what's new. Okay, so then what does one do in this phase for that formalization and how actually uh, I was just thinking when you were speaking how do you ensure that you're actually supporting these already pretty well managed projects and not interfering with them with uh, additional rules and regulations that they may never have wanted well, that's an interesting one, because I think, again, one of my learnings in the academic space is that rules and regulations aren't quite, you know, considered in the same way as they may be in the corporate world. So it's nigh on impossible in an academic context to, you know, make one rule to rule them all in terms of how you approach these things. That may be possible in a corporate context because the goals may be more consistent in a, in a corporation. But if you look at a university, you've got people in the computer science department, you've got people in humanities, you've got people in the health department, you've got people in engineering, and they're so different. And indeed, their their goals around open source may be incredibly different. So it, it's, it's a very diverse population. Some people are very technical, some people are not very technical. Um, there are a lot more considerations at play because you've got things like, you know, how you respond to funding grants, you've got local government policies around how and where research outputs should be published. Um, there's the, the broader context of the fact that researchers are, I suppose, you know, in many respects, they're always looking for citations and references. It's hard to do that with software. So how are they rewarded for contributing software to the academic community at large? Um, so many of these considerations are things that I think are important to consider. Certainly, you know, when I think about the new OSPOs that have, you know, emerged over the last few years, oftentimes they're very involved with just figuring out what kind of open source activity is happening at universities. Therefore, looking at the supports that are necessary, and that may be different per institution, depending on, you know, how advanced the, the competency around open source is within their university. Sometimes it's just about connecting the people who are doing it really well with people who are maybe new to open source within the community. Sometimes it's awareness and advocacy around open source so that a broader set of people understand the opportunities and the challenges associated with open source. And oftentimes, a lot of the time, in fact, um, it may be also support around this idea of open source licensing, giving people more guidance around how and why to choose a license given your goal around the open source project. So there's a lot of education, there's a lot of guidance. And in what, like you personally or the university you're working with, in what phase would you say are you? Are you already providing the tools, the guidelines, uh, the information uh, to support project? Or are you still in the uh, analysis phase? Uh, what do we even have happening in our space of influence? Well, certainly... In Lero's case, and Lero, of course, is a research institution that actually spans 12 universities within Ireland. So it's a group of uh, folks that are involved in software development. A lot of the activity in Lero's case is around this idea of education and providing guidance and support to folks that may have, um, I suppose, questions around that and doing advocacy around open source. A recent project we're involved in is has been funded by Ireland's National Open Research Forum. And we're looking at helping all the universities perhaps put some, some um, framework or policy in place to help get clarity 
within the within the Irish university context about how to think about open source or how to think about the goals and what license you may choose and things like that. So that's one of the projects we're involved in. Um, as I mentioned, though, uh, depending on the university, the open source program office may be at different levels. So there are some open source program offices who are already working with individual projects to help them grow community who have already been successful in terms of publishing an open source project. There are some universities who are focused on even providing infrastructure to support researchers do open source more efficiently. I mean, that's that. in those cases, they might be working very closely with the IT departments. Um, and again, I, I, I failed to mention, but it's important to, to state that oftentimes the activities of an open source program office within a university can also be dependent on where that's placed within the university. So in Ireland, for example, in the Trinity OSPO I mentioned, the OSPO is actually in the technology transfer office. So they're very concerned with actually helping uh, researchers spin out or commercialize some research in that open source context. That's a lot of their competency there. But in other parts of the world, um, the OSPO may be placed in the library and therefore it may be um, a very, very looking at the whole idea of the software as another research output like papers, like data. And they're thinking about managing that for the university context and how that can be done. Yep. Or in some cases, it might be in a research institution in where, in which case you know, if it's if it's part of a particular discipline like computer science or, or something like that, then they may be more focused on thinking about open source in that context and therefore getting more specific about particular projects. Remembering my own way back time at university, I'm a geologist by trade, actually. And we had this illegally good uh, equipment uh, with computers back in the 90s, illegally, well, against regulations, at least. We shouldn't have had as much compute power at that uh, at the, in that department without offering I don't know a couple of dozen of hours of lessons uh, that fo would have focused around computers and software. But our head of department uh, was very good at hiding that. Mm -hmm. Is that still a problem uh, that some people may not even be one to found out with what they do? I mean, there's also that cultural element within universities. So um, it, I think it's been, whereas, uh, you know, researchers, even in the context of open research, do, you know, want to, to publish software in order to make their research reproducible. Um, they may not want to do it too early in, the, in their actual research project. So uh, there's definitely a trend towards some researchers for perhaps actually, you know, perhaps keeping their source code closed until they've published their research output and then actually open sourcing it at a later date. Now, um, you know, I think it's interesting even to consider this idea of software being released as open source as part of a research output, because in those cases, um, those projects may not have the same goal, for example, as a community open source project, because if a researcher has done a piece of research, um, you know, released the output, they may have no personal interest in actually growing that community and actually, you know, maintaining it for years. They may be moving on to another funded project and have no time to maintain the project that they were working on three to five years ago. So it's a different dynamic because, you know, in, in the corporate world or in the broader open source community, you often have individuals who are involved in a project for a very long period of time. And that may not be the case in academia, um, where if, if you're releasing a piece of code, it may only be relevant for a period of time. It may not actually have um, even planned longevity. It, it may just be a piece of software that was only relevant for that particular piece of, you know, that particular project work. Yeah. So that gives a different dynamic, actually, in, in universities. And to your point, it can create 
I suppose, you know, when you're thinking about collaboration around these projects, then you, you have to be really clear about the expectation and the goal that you're, why you're releasing the software, because otherwise people can get confused about that. And, and have expectations of maintenance and engagement that are not going to be fulfilled. <laughs> I guess if we would want to summarize uh, and, and compare corporate world and academia, uh, the importance of intellectual property on the corporate side is a matter of the organization. And uh, in the universities, it's a matter of the individual who want to protect their own. And the organization. Yes. Which actually makes it quite, you know, <laughs> and the funding agencies and actors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a complex. I think it's a bit shifted to the individual who have to protect uh, their own research, uh, their own intellectual property, their own academic career in the end, that is. Oh, it's just far more complex yeah. when you think of the, the actors at play, because you do have these individuals, you have the teams that work with them. They may have research assistants. There may be, you know, there may be collaborations happening across institutions. There may be collaborations happening with the private sector. And in all these cases, this idea of IP and who owns it and how it's um, it's a much more complex scenario. And I remember that the discussions sometimes already start between the researcher and uh, their assistants uh, who owns what. Yes, indeed. Yes. But uh, now that we've boiled this pretty much down to researchers and in the very beginning you said for undergrads, it's more like we learn about open source and the researchers is more like uh, we have an interest in using, contributing, uh, creating our own. Let's take it maybe one step further. Uh, in how far does the intersection to the corporate world play a role? As in, we've had this episode with uh, with this uh, veteran from, from the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, who already in the 1970s or 80s had these transitions from university grounds into... Uh, free market spin-offs uh -huh. and hybrids between that and how far is that important? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly important part. And I mean, I referenced before Trinity's open source program office um, was formed within the technology transfer office. And that was to enable actually what they saw as this trend of some researchers working in the open source world and to support them in doing spin outs on open source technology. Uh, and they have a couple of examples that they've supported in that respect, that it just made sense for those organizations' business model to work in open source, because that's how the community they were dealing with worked. And they were concerned with and, and wanted the wide and, and rapid distribution of their technology, which is why they chose to open source their code, but then built businesses around that. So it was in that recognition that Trinity kind of created their open source program office to support those kind of um, organizations. And I think, you know, one of the things that universities are very, I suppose, keen to do is affect these collaborations with the private sector because that can often lead to more grant money or, or more, more funding to help the university make research happen. But I think it's really important because actually as a vehicle for translating research into real impact in the, the ecosystem and in the private sector, I think it's a really potentially good path to consider because if you think about how it might happen otherwise, which is where... You know, a corporation might say, I want a piece of research done. They pay for it. The researcher goes off and does it. There's a pro protracted length of time where the lawyers all talk about IP transfer. And then the researcher kind of hands it over in a bunch and says, now I'm off to another project. Like that That can sometimes not necessarily be the best way to, to embed technology in an organization's own kind of... Uh, Which actually, uh, l l let me, uh, sorry, interrupt no, no, there, because ahead. that leads us uh, to the... 
the ever unsexy uh, aspects of uh, maintenance and uh, long term uh, long term keeping and everything of projects uh, does that is that supported by these spin-offs better well, I mean, you have the spin-out scenario where, where you have the, the, the individuals involved often going with the spin-out to actually, you know, maintain that project in the future. But even outside that, even if you think about collaborations between academic institutions and individuals in there and private institutions, um, sometimes if that's done in the open, you have these personal connections that are made between the folks that built the code, the researchers, and the folks that are consuming the code or will use it afterwards, which would be the private sector. And that can provide potentially for better collaboration. Also, you know, if you're building an open source project or if you're providing software as open source, there's such a much bigger emphasis on things like documentation, making sure people can use it easily. Like all of the best practices around open source project development can actually facilitate much more effective research translation into the private sector, I think. Or at least in certain circumstances, that can be optimal. And even when you think about that in a broader context where you may have multiple organizations and multiple institutions all collaborating on something that's really going to drive forward an industry, that can be hugely powerful. And, and being able to take away any of the friction that might be there where, where people are having little kind of, I suppose, tensions over who owns the IP. If it's all in the open, that can sometimes make those collaborations happen much more easily. And actually, for me, that's a huge opportunity around this growth in, I suppose, thinking about growing the open source ecosystem within universities. That's often the goal here. Yeah, I seem to remember that when we talked before we are recording this today, uh, you had an example, something about uh, Internet of Things. Yes. Only recently I've been speaking with an individual from the European Commission, Max Lemke, who was talking about he's part of um, looking at the Internet of Things across Europe. And he was talking about the, the opportunities around, for example, the software-defined vehicles um, and how that's a growing ecosystem in open source across Europe. And just thinking about those collaboration opportunities at an industry level, both for the corporations, large and small, that may be getting involved in that, but also those academic researchers who may be able to then find a place for their research that actually has immediate commercial impact. That's really what that opportunity is. Rather than working individually, isolated, where you're building something theoretical, but it's not having this huge impact on the industry. I think within the context of the broader open source ecosystem, it just allows for much more impactful research to be translated almost immediately into something that would actually help the entire industry. Yeah, and I think this should actually be hugely attractive also for uh, the researchers at universities because it kind of, um, when I think back, I had to make a decision at some point. Do I want to stay in research or do I want to uh, go look for a job exactly. outside? And and this kind of seems like you can pop your head out a bit. And if you don't like what you see on that other side, uh, you pop it back. Exactly. Uh, and stay. Test the waters. Uh, that, that, that sounds very <laughs> neat, actually. Yeah. Now, the, the next thing I was going to ask you. You've mentioned uh, quite a few in the course of this uh, organizations. Uh, should we maybe go through them uh, one more time and uh, kind of do a quick characterization uh, of what they do? You mentioned Sloan, who are, I think, paying your salary, uh, you said, right? Or you have grants from. I don't think 
have we mentioned chaos on the way? We haven't yet, but I do we think... We have not yet. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned some other ones, uh, Irish-specific ones. Uh, let's let's maybe tick some of those off. Uh, what does Sloan do? Well, so I suppose to to kind of cover some of the organizations that are at play in this area. So Sloan, Alfred P. Sloan Foundation are, as I said, a philanthropic organization that are very keen to support the creation of these institutions within universities to support research outputs, to make them better, to make them more effective and uh, productive. They've done great work in that space. Um, but if people are interested in this entire area of open source in academia and learning about the context and talking to other people who are working in that context, I suppose there are a few open source communities that are really active in this space that I would really recommend people um, um, get involved in and, and come along to. So um, one of those is, as you mentioned, the Chaos uh, organization, that they're the Community Health Analytics for Open Source Software. Um, they're a project under the Linux Foundation, and they look at metrics and measurements for um, healthy open source projects across, you know, the entire open source ecosystem. But they have an academic or a university working group where it's looking at specifically how do you measure healthy open source within the university context. So that's a great place to if you're interested in measures and metrics and, you know, models of metrics and frameworks and all that sort of thing, they, they, they're a great place to actually go and discuss that. Um, there's another organization called Sustain OSS um, and their community is, um, it's a place where people are discussing how to sustain the open source ecosystem. What are the opportunities and challenges around that? And thinking about open source in the long haul, what are the systems we need to put in place to sustain open source? They also have an academic working group where they talk about open source in that academic context um, and thinking about the various different players. It's a great place actually to go and find out about all the players and all the organizations that touch on this because, I mean, you know, I've, I've only mentioned a handful here, but there are others where uh, there are crossover interests in terms of open source. So another organization for example, would be the Research Software Alliance. Um, I, I mentioned that there was a rise in open research and, and that is definitely the case. There's also been a growth and momentum around this idea that as we think about the importance of software within the academic context, we need to recognize the people who are building the software that help other researchers do their job. This idea of that being a discipline in itself is one that's growing momentum and the Research Software Alliance looks at that. Now, as part of that, of course, open source plays a part. They're not exactly identical goals, but open source, if you're, if you're trying to build software that supports globally the research community in, in doing better research, you want to make sure that's open source because, because that helps everyone. If I got you correctly, then Sloan and the Research Software Alliance, was it, right? Mm -hmm. They are the ones that have a certain specificity to academia, right? And the other ones are just general open source organizations. Well, in both the case of Chaos and Sustain, they have working groups that are specific to the academic situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Chaos, uh, by the way, is spelled with a double S uh, and has nothing to do for our German listeners uh, with the original German hackers uh, of uh, the Chaos group. Gosh, uh, no. That no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, these hackers are now mostly security consultants uh, and not, not hackers anymore. Uh, of course. <laughs> for all I know, at least. Now, as we talked about different organizations, uh, let's turn it around. Is there anything that SAP or companies of the likes of SAP could do to foster open source at universities and other institutions? 
Well, yes, indeed. I mean, we were talking about these potentials for industry academic uh, collaborations. And I mean, SAP, I know, do great work in terms of open sourcing projects. I, 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 you can bet your bottom dollar that you already have contributions coming from the academic community or students or researchers already. Um, but perhaps there's an opportunity to, I suppose, identify those folks and celebrate that sort of thing, but also a potential for corporations to look for these opportunities for collaborating with academic institutions to, I suppose, get that idea of, of taking cutting-edge research from the academic space into projects that are happening today. So there's a huge opportunity around that, I think, and um, and even even bringing that up as a as a potential pathway to do these kind of collaborations, I think would would be would be fabulous. Um, so for me, that's the huge opportunity that for SAP and others. Yep, I actually know that we're definitely doing a ton of that uh, with the regional universities uh, in Germany. Uh, I, I don't know in how far internationally. Just also wanted to give you the chance to uh, make that call. Oh, well, I'd be delighted to hear about that. We should be highlighting those cases. But let's come as we're running a bit out of our regular time here. The before last uh, question, where do people go to get more information about your work or where do researchers go as a first point of contact when they uh, want to look at open source in their context? Well, I think for researchers, I mean, a first port to call would be just to find the communities that are active in your space. So if you look at any topic plus open source, you'll probably find a project that's specific to that area. So that'd be the first thing, like go find your tribe of people doing open source within your context. But if you're interested in talking about this idea of open source more generally in the academic space, uh, I hang out in both sustainoss.org, uh, the academic working group there, and in the Chaos University working group, uh, both of those organizations hold regular virtual meetings and, and physically uh, I'll be going along to, for example, the Chaos Con and, and FOSDEM in just next week, actually, in Brussels. Really looking forward to that. They're the communities, I think, which are having that discussion about open source in academia at this kind of higher level and thinking about that more broadly across the whole sector. Yeah, be great to see you there. Or in fact, reach out to me personally. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me there. Claire, no I, C-L-A-R-E dot Dylan in LinkedIn. Uh, be delighted to connect with anyone who's interested in this space. All right, you heard her. Just get in contact and we'll, of course, put all the links uh, under the podcast when we publish it. That leads me to the final question. What are the three to four main things, the key takeaways you would want everyone to remember from this episode? Well, I think for me, the three takeaways is that open source is incredibly important in the university context, in education, but particularly this idea of open research and as a research output, incredibly important. And it's different. It's probably different than the corporate context because sometimes you don't want to have projects lasting forever. So that's different. And I think the real takeaway for this is that we all need to be talking more about how to better do it in the academic context, in the university context. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing that conversation with everyone who's interested in that area. Okay, then let's hope you get tons of input. And I thank you very much, Claire, for being our guest today. It was nice to have you here. And thank you all out there for listening to The Open Source Way. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Don't miss the next one. We usually publish every last Wednesday of the month. And you'll find us on OpenSAP and in all those places where you find your podcasts, be they proprietary or be they open source podcast clients. Thanks again. Thanks again, Claire. And bye-bye. Thank you, Karsten. Bye, everyone.